everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today is Book Club. We are talking about Destination Wedding by Diksha Basu. But before we get into the episode, today's episode is sponsored by Knight, the makers of our all-time favorite pillow and the face mask we have in very heavy rotation. So some exciting news. They're starting Black Friday early for Bad on Paper listeners, and you can get 30% off all month long with code BOP30. I would recommend doing it now before Black Friday because things are going to sell out. Ooh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Becca, what is your high? How are you doing? What's going on? This is our last... No, we're recording tomorrow, but this is our last standard episode together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing well. I am... I'm good. I'm, I'm happy. I am... My schedule is not crazy. I'm excited for Thanksgiving. I'm excited for Christmas. I, yeah, I'm good. My high is that, so I've been feeling very itchy in the city. I I have not left since March, since quarantine started, and like have not gone anywhere. And um, this weekend, Rachel and I are going on a mini day trip, road trip. And I'm so excited. What are you guys doing? I didn't know about this until I was like, Becca, are you coming to brunch on Saturday? And you were like, yeah, no, road trip. What are you doing? I'm so intrigued. We're not sure. So we rented a car for five hours. Is Rachel driving? Yes. Okay. So this is why you and I could never do a road trip because neither neither of us really want to drive. Yeah. I was jealous. I was like a little sad. But I can't come because I'm day drinking with Alex. My last full day in the city. Um. So... We're going to go up somewhere upstate to the Hudson Valley, and um, we're just going to get lunch outside somewhere and um, find a cute town and and walk around. Like, it's not a big deal. It's not anything crazy. And, you know, hopefully is we plan to be very safe about it. Um, We're literally leaving for five hours. You should wander around Storm King or um, Dia Beacon. Beacon's on the radar. Um. And then Alex had recommended some cute towns up that way. And we found a cute restaurant that is like kind of a farm and they do walk-in reservations. So, Oh, that's going to be so fun. I'm just excited to go somewhere. I'm excited for the road trip aspect of it. Yeah, even being in a car, like Alex and I went to New Jersey for an afternoon to go to that art gallery and it was like the best part of my quarantine. I know, like just having a nice coffee and like a fun road trip playlist. I'm excited. So um, it's an anticipatory high that I'm excited for my – it's not even a road trip. Like, I'm overhyping it. Like, it's literally an afternoon, but I'm leaving the city, and I feel like I'm going to be a new person. That's so great. What is yours? Mine is just – it's also preemptive. And I have to tell you, this week has kind of been hell because, like, to uproot my life for six weeks is just a lot. And you, we've talked about this. I'm very attached to my things. I like my routine. I just like how consistent my day-to-day life is here. I'm stressing the fuck out about my mail situation because of UPS and – This sounds like a low. No, it is. It is. It's a low and a high. Sorry. Okay. I'm coming in hot with the low. I don't mean to complain because Charleston's real. I think after this kind of hellish week – I get there on Sunday. My apartment, my cottage is called, it's a cottage, an apartment. It's all ready to be checked into. And I'm there for six weeks and I'm really nervous, but I'm really excited. I'm going to be living like right, like downtown, downtown. So like really close to Colonial Lake. And I'm just picturing like cute walks with Zoe around the lake and just like, you know, seeing some of my friends safely. I'm still figuring out all of the um, the testing and quarantine protocol. We're obviously going to be super safe. Like my mom 
bringing by a bunch of my stuff at like 9 a.m., but they're not picking me up. They're like, we'll pick you up from the airport. I'm like, no, you won't. Like, we're all getting tested. So, I mean, just there's been a lot of stress leading up to this, but I just, I'm like, the light is at the end of the tunnel and I cannot wait to be there to see my family, to, even if it's like from 10, six feet, 10 feet away. I know, I, I know you were missing your parents so much earlier in quarantine before you book this trip. So I'm so excited for you that you... Yeah, it's going to be so nice. I'm like, I'm just nervous right now, but it's going to be so nice once I'm there and it's like stuff is 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 happening. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to do for Thanksgiving. Like we're kind of like fighting about it. Like my parents are like, we can have dinner inside and we'll open all the windows. And I was like, mm, we should probably get tested and then like see... And like, maybe we could do it in your yard. And they're like, we don't want to do it in your yard. I'm like, you know what? Like, we all have to do things we don't want to do. Rachel and I are doing a two-person Thanksgiving, and we are cooking way too much food for two people because we are unwilling to sacrifice any of the sides. Yeah, you need the sides. And we want the variety of sides. So we're just doing... There's going to be so many leftovers. You should, when you have the leftovers, you should freeze them into like individual meals so that then you can heat them up like... Then you have like the turkey, the potatoes, everything all in one spot. Oh, that's a good idea. So last year, Rachel mm-hmm. and I also did Thanksgiving, just the two of us in Palm Springs. And we honestly, the best part of the Thanksgiving meal was the next morning. We made this hash with oh. like, you don't like a fried egg, but like basically like stuffing and mashed potatoes and Brussels sprouts. And we actually made duck last year. Neither of us like turkey. So we made duck last year. It was it was a mixed bag, um, but the duck and the hash and then like an egg over the top and it was so good. Oh, that sounds like good. the leftover hash situation was the best part. So I'm also very excited for Friday breakfast. Yeah. This year we're going to make pot roast instead of a turkey. Yeah. Because first of all, turkey is so big that it doesn't make sense to do for two people. But then also we're like, neither of us like turkey. Turkey's the worst part of Thanksgiving. I was just talking to someone about this, and it's like, why is that the protein that we pick? I don't know. It's so boring. Like, for- I mean, I guess theoretically, if you were not this year, but like if you were serving 20 people, like you couldn't have a chicken and serve 20 people. Yeah. There was one Thanksgiving where I stayed in the city, and Alex ordered this. It's a fancy chicken. It's from somewhere in the city. I forget the name of the place. But even having fancy chicken instead of turkey was better. Yeah. I'm turkey excited sucks. for pot roast. Yeah. But I'm mostly excited for the sides. I think that my dad's making rack of lamb, which is my favorite. Oh, yum. His rack of lamb. My dad's a chef for anyone who's new here. Well, he was a chef. He's now retired. His rack of lamb is one of my favorite things in the world. Yum. Yeah. So what is going on on, on the low side? What happened this week? It's just everything's been a lot. Like I um, I think, I, you know, Olivia Mentor put this on her Instagram story last night and I was reading them when I couldn't sleep. Our fall correspondent, our Olivia fa- Mentor. Yeah, our, our fall correspondent, our candle guru. Uh-huh. Oh my God, somebody messaged me and was like, I need to know, did you like the candles that the candle guru recommended? Sure didn't. No, but I love that they call her a candle guru. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I love not, that. you know, freelance writer, like blogger, influencer, extraordinaire, like um, candle guru. So Olivia, if you're listening... <laughs> You have a new title to add to your to your collection. Um, she was just talking about it, and it really put things into perspective for why I'm feeling like this. I just think a lot of us got like pretty bad election burnout. Like I felt like I had to just be so on the pulse, watching the news every day, sharing to s- social media, responding to DMs, making sure people were voting, text banking, just like doing all the things. And then that ended, and like 
after a week of getting the results, I was able to be like, yeah, I feel good. But it's also now the busiest time of work. And I'm like so burnt out from that. And I'm not meaning to complain because that was so important. And I obviously don't regret for a minute, like all of the time I spent like working to like hopefully influence the election as best as I could. But um, now I'm really tired. And I have like yesterday I had four drafts of sponsored posts due to brands and I was up till like 10 p.m. And like I so like Instagram stories, you were this is like pulling back the curtain a little bit. You record them in advance and then the brand approves them. By the end of recording things, I literally felt like I was going cross-eyed. Like I have to watch, I have to add the text and like edit the videos today. And I'm scared of how I look <laughs> because I think I looked like really tired and cross-eyed. So it's just like so much before I go. And then like add to that the fact that like I'm uprooting my life for six weeks and have to figure out how to get everything I need into two big suitcases and leave my apartment for six weeks. I know six weeks isn't that long, but like little things like, oh, I really should scrub down the refrigerator. Like I should, I don't know, just make sure that the place is really nice for when I get back. Yeah. And I think as I am saying this, I know some of it sounds crazy, but like I don't think I was prepared for how stressed I would feel about leaving for six weeks. And I don't want to complain about it because I'm so excited and I feel so lucky to be able to even do this. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying this to you because I know that you know, but for anyone else who might be feeling the same way with election burnout, even though the election is over, the Georgia runoff elections are super important and will probably determine control of the Senate. So if you were somebody who cared a ton about the presidential election and you were text banking, phone banking, donating, doing any of those things, you should also consider doing the same thing for the Georgia runoff. And Fair Fight, which is Stacey Abrams' organization, is an amazing resource both for um, information, but then also to donate through. That is a good note because I am going on to donate right now. Well, when we finish this episode for Stacey Abrams. And we have a great episode with Stacey Abrams. She was one of our Bad on Politics guests like maybe six months ago. She was. Yeah, I feel you on the – I don't know. I don't feel burnt out per se. I feel like procrastination city, which I guess could be burnout. I don't think it is. I tend to procrastinate when I'm burnt out. I don't know. So I actually have a very light plate work-wise right now. Which may come back to bite me in the ass because it means that I won't earn as much money, but I have a lot of invoices out. So I'm like, I'm fine through the rest of the year. So I've kind of just decided to take it easy. I have um, like one and a half clients right now versus I usually have two to three. Um, so I have so much time. Like this morning, I came over here and Grace was like, what did, what did you do today? And I you was had like- the best morning. And I was like, well, I um, I did Soul Cycle. I took a shower and like went on this air drying my hair journey. And It's looking so cute. Then I Marie Kondoed a bunch of my drawers for no reason. So, you know, it's, it, I, it's nice that I don't have a lot of work stuff to do. But what I am supposed to be doing is I'm supposed to be writing Rom-Com Pods season three. And I am, I am, a, it's not blocked, like, it's not writer's block, but it's just like effort blocked. So I'm having trouble making myself sit down and do it. It feels harder this season for some reason. Usually the writing part is my favorite part. And then I find the editing part to be not, I don't dislike it, but it's like not as fun as the initial writing. And um, this time I don't feel that way. I'm having a lot of trouble getting into it. Well, I think that's part of the burnout thing. Like, I don't know about you, but when I'm when I've had a lot going on, I have a really hard time being creative. And it's not the same thing, but like doing the writing for my blog posts or 
stuff like that. I don't think it's that so much. I think it might be pressure. Yeah. And expectations, both that I'm putting on myself and that I feel externally. Yeah. So I think that that is part of it. And also, I loved season two so much, so I feel a little bit scared of, like, how do we do better than that? So I don't know. I think it's maybe more anxiety-related than it is burnout. That makes sense. But that's me. Quick desperation minute. We haven't done one of these in a while. Um, This is where we beg you to leave us reviews and share with your friends. So if you are thankful for this podcast – do you see what I did there? Yes. Uh, We would be so grateful if you would leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can just leave us a star rating. It takes two seconds, but we love reading the reviews. So if you have something to say, we would love to hear it. Um, And if you've already done that, consider taking a screenshot of this episode and sharing it with your friends or on Instagram or at your Thanksgiving table, literally wherever. Um, It really helps us to grow. And our growth has been a little stagnant this year. So we're excited to keep doing the podcast, but we'd love to find some new fam. Yes. So before we get into this book club, let's take a quick sponsor break. So by now, you know that we are pretty obsessed with the brand Night. And if you don't know, it all started with an obsession with their famous Night Pillow. So the pillow is legitimately life-changing, and I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic. It's a memory foam pillow that cradles your head, but then it bounces back if you move over. And I toss and turn a lot during my sleep, so I don't end up with, like, the pillow pancake from flipping back and forth too much. So I was pretty skeptical, and I didn't think that I'd actually notice a difference because I'm a pretty solid sleeper, but I was wrong. I noticed a difference. I am not a solid sleeper. I am a terrible sleeper. And this pillow changed the game for me, especially when I sleep on my stomach. It just, it's so comfortable. I really enjoy like the way that you said it bounces back. um, So it doesn't like just become like a flattened out old pancake. Um, But it is not just about comfort that although comfort is, of course, really important. Night is actually a beauty textiles company. So you might be like, what what are beauty textiles? What does that mean? Night actually focuses on products that interact with your skin and your hair, and their silk products have major beauty benefits. So think a pillowcase that extends a blowout or a face mask that helps to prevent masks. And with the holidays right around the corner, we think there are a lot of people in your life who would love something from Night. So two of my favorite giftable items are first the silk scrunchies, which might sound silly, but I live for these. So I'm pretty much never without one. It's basically the only thing I use at this point during quarantine. I love that they don't tug my hair or create breakage, and they don't leave a crease. Also, I haven't tried them yet, but they just released silk headbands, which are super cute looking. And then the other thing I'm a die hard for is their eye mask for sleeping. So they just released a Zodiac version, which I got. It's a my Virgo eye mask, so everyone knows. Um, but it's so cute, and it would be such a fun gift. It's getting confusing because I feel like there's three kinds of masks that we talk about from night. There's the face masks to keep you safe. There's the eye masks to help you sleep. And then there's the skincare masks to like make you look glowy and and pretty. Yeah. It's It's confusing. confusing. The Zodia masks are so cute. I really, really like mine. And I also love their face mask, the skincare kind. It has gold particles in it, and it is so luxurious. This sheet is actually made from silk, um, and it just feels really good on your skin and leaves your skin very, very glowy and super hydrated. 
And if you're giving yourself a gift this year, why not start with their signature pillow? I bought the pillows for my parents as a combo gift for my dad's birthday and Mother's Day, and I got a lot of brownie points for that one. They are complete converts now, especially during quarantine when having a cozy home and getting sleep is important. Investing in making your bed as comfortable as possible is definitely a part of my self-care. And if you're trying to shop small this holiday, I love that Knight is a small female-owned business. I just always feel better when I know my dollars are going to good people. Agree. And we saved the best part for last. Knight is actually extending their Black Friday offer for Bad on Paper listeners only for the whole month of November. So you can take 30% off all of Knight's amazing beauty sleep products with the code BOP30 at discoverknight.com. Again, take 30% off site-wide at discoverknight.com with code BOP30 for the whole month of November. Okay, so let's get into this book. We'll do a quick plot summary and then let's chat about it. Yes. So the book follows Tina Das, who's an Indian-American woman in her early 30s. And while her parents were born in India, she was born in the U.S. And she currently lives in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, us too, and works for a streaming service developing content for Indian audiences. Yes. So the book opens at JFK Airport. Tina and her family are waiting in the lounge for a flight to India that has been delayed. They're headed there for her cousin's wedding. Tina is traveling with her best friend, Marianne, and her divorced parents, along with her mother's newish boyfriend, David Smith. The trip will be the first time that the whole family has been back to India together since Tina was eight. So the group makes it to Delhi and arrives at Colebrooks, which is a private members club where the wedding will take place. So going into the wedding, Tina is feeling adrift. Professionally, every show that she's worked on has fallen apart before making it to air, including her pet project, which is basically an Asian version of making the band. And personally, she's recently broken up with her boyfriend. Yes. So the first morning that they arrive in India, Tina runs into Rocco, an Australian expat who is one of her cousin's friends that Tina had met and hooked up with years ago in London. Tina is still nursing a small crush on him, but she's not sure how Rocco feels. To add a potential other love interest to the mix, there's Sid. And Sid is one of the cast members for Tina's music show. He's come from Bombay to Delhi to see Tina while she's in India, and she's unsure whether his visit is professional or romantic. So Tina's not the only one with big romantic hopes for the week ahead. Her father, Mr. Doss, has used a matchmaking service for Indian widows to meet a woman, Mrs. Sethi, who he's been corresponding with over email and will meet for the first time on the trip. And then meanwhile, Marianne ends up taking up with the groom's playboy brother, despite the fact that she has a boyfriend in New York and she totally ditches Tina. The wedding weekend is an incredibly opulent comedy of errors helmed by Bubbles, the wedding planner, who has pitched herself as an A-list planner, but in reality, this is only the second wedding she's ever planned. Overall, there's a pretty lax schedule, and with over a thousand guests, it's easy to slip away unnoticed. So since she's been abandoned, Tina keeps meeting up with Sid. So the extreme poverty that he comes from is a distinct contrast to the incredibly lavish wedding that Tina's attending in the side of Delhi that Tina and her friends know. So the relationship fizzles when Sid visits Tina at her hotel, and she thinks something romantic is finally going to happen. But when she goes to kiss him, she realizes that she's misunderstood, and he's been thinking of this whole week as an audition for her. So Tina ends up completely humiliated. And while Tina is striking out on the love front, her father finds himself really enjoying the company of Mrs. Sethi, blowing off the wedding events to spend time with her instead. The groom's quirky and incredibly rich grandmother helps him plan a really special dinner for her on the condition that he kiss Mrs. Sethi before the night is over. 
So despite her romantic turmoil, two good things happen for Tina on the trip. First, she gets some time to bond with her mother, whom she's resented since her parents divorced 10 years ago. She gets to see that her mother is truly happy with her new boyfriend, David Smith. And then second, Tina has a brilliant idea, which she thinks is going to solve her work problems. She wants to build a reality TV show focused on lavish Indian weddings that revolves around Bubbles, who is all too willing to become famous. The book culminates with an over-the-top wedding reception complete with flowers flown in from Ethiopia, fireworks in the shape of the Taj Mahal, and iPads in the gift bag. But the wedding is not without its problems. Bubbles couldn't get Bollywood stars to attend, has gotten two drag performers to pass themselves off as two famous Bollywood dancers, and the bartender has run off with one of the guests. But despite the chaos, everyone is having a wonderful time. So Rocco and Tina come to the rescue as guest bartenders, and while they make drinks, Rocco confesses that he's thought about Tina many times since London, and he's sorry that he didn't call. And they have a romantic kiss. So separately, but actually at the same time, Tina and Mr. Das both come to the decision that they will stay in India, Tina to produce the show, and Mr. Das to see where things go with Mrs. Sethi. So this book was so hard to outline. I didn't realize this until I reread it the second time. I, I read it a couple of months ago, and then I reread it this week to make this outline. And what's I didn't realize was that the book is so much more about the characters than it is about the plot. Yes. So what happens in the plot is like kind of just background. Yeah. It's not actually that important. It's Yeah, it's so much about the characters. And it, it's really funny. But it's so funny. And I don't feel like I captured that in the outline. Like, it's, Well, it's hard to because it was... It was so subtle. Right. Like both the dialogue is funny in like a ha-ha way, but then it's also funny in like the situations that people keep ending up in. Mm -hmm. um, so I <laughs> I know some people listen without having read the book, so I want you to understand that the book is like very funny and quirky mm -hmm. and the plot summary kind of like undersells it, I think. Yes. What did you think when you first like opened up this book? I know I read it first and I told you about it, but... Like, if you look, when you look at the cover, I was like, oh, this is going to be a, like, I was like, this is a Becca book. This is not a me book. This is like a going to be a really light um, romance. Yeah. I mean, you told me. It looks me, like a beach read. You told me beforehand, because I remember when you were reading it, you were unsure until the very end if it was going to be a like romance. a romance. Yeah. And like, it's not. It's not. There's definitely it's more like a comedy. Right. Like, there's definitely romantic plot lines, but it's not in and of itself a rom-com book. Yeah. Do you know what I would say it most closely reminds me of? What? Which is interesting. So it reminds me kind of of Crazy Rich Asians. It's not as name-droppy when it comes to labels and fashion and beauty, but it is like kind of similar in terms of the quirky family dynamics and this like very rich family I don't know. So it's really funny to me because you hated Crazy Rich Asians, but you loved this. So I really just think that I don't like Kevin Kwan's writing style. Okay. Because I love the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, interesting. I thought the movie was amazing. It was so beautiful and shot so well. So I could totally see this if this was a movie being like kind of the Indian version of that. This did feel very cinematic. Yes, I agree. Like I was just picturing Colebrooks, and I was like, I want to stay there. I looked it up to see if it was a real place. It's Is not. it? Oh. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, the whole thing did feel very cinematic, like it would make a wonderful and very funny movie. Yes, I agree. So, I mean, so I, I feel like we have to start with, what did you think of Tina? Well, I loved her. I feel like we've talked, we talked about this when we both like read the book the first time. 
I like wanted to be friends with her. I felt like she was so cool, so independent and strong, like had a great career. She was creative and driven. I loved that she lived in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I thought she was a great protagonist. I did too. And it was interesting rereading the book because she's definitely not perfect. She like has a lot of flaws. Yeah. But even still, I just got the sense throughout the book that if she was somebody that showed up at brunch, we would hit it off. Yes, agree. And I also recognized a lot of my own negative attributes or my own um, anxieties in her. Like she just felt like somebody that I would have a lot in common with and get along with. And she was like obviously very smart and like funny, but she wasn't perfect. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes- She was really relatable. You read a book and the protagonist is like too perfect and you're like, Mm -hmm. this person seems great on paper, but- wouldn't really want to be their friend. Yeah, or they feel really one-dimensional. Whereas Tina just, she felt like a real person. She did. And it was also really funny because this book is not a New York book. So her family lives in New York and she lives in in Williamsburg. So, you know, there's like slight references and like scenes where she talks about things that happened in New York. But Tina felt like such a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. Like she just had first an attitude about her, but then also – just like the way she talked about things, like there was this one scene that really stood out to me where she was talking to Sid, the drummer, who has taken a train over a day and a half to come see her from Bombay to Delhi instead of taking a, a flight. Um, and he's he's never left India. He like hasn't seen a lot outside of you know his own small world. And he's like, "Do you live near Times Square?" And uh, she doesn't say it out loud, I don't think, but mentally she's like trying to figure out how she can talk about it where she's like, how do you explain to somebody that like you live by an iconic spot like the like Times Square, but you avoid it? Yeah, I know. I, I feel like people I that was really relatable to me because I've had that same conversation with so many people like they think that we like go to Times Square to hang out if if you don't live if you don't live in New York or you haven't really visited. Whereas if you live in New York, you avoid that at well, all costs. Years ago, my friend Lauren w- comes to New York at least once a year for work and um I always try to get her to like tack on a weekend to, you know, spend time with me. But um when she comes for work, her work always puts her up in Times Square. Um she's usually here for like a conference and I think it like takes place near there. And she had said to me at one point where she was like, you know, like, I don't really think I like New York that much. <laughs> and um, I was like, that's OK. It's not for everyone. Like, I, I totally get that and like have heard from people that like don't love New York or couldn't see themselves here and like totally get it. Different strokes for different folks. And then one year she stayed with me and I this was in my old apartment. So I used to live downtown kind of in like the East Village. I lived at East Second and Bowery. And um, she stayed with me for a weekend. And at the end of the weekend, she was like, oh, wow, I had a realization. She's like, I don't not like New York. I don't like Times Square. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, no one likes Times Square. Yeah. Like, welcome to the club. Yeah. I know. I remember like years and years ago, a friend of mine was coming into the city for her, her birthday weekend. Maybe it was 30. I'm not sure. And her and like five or six of my other friends, they didn't ask me first, booked a hotel room in Times Square and they were so miserable. And I was like, oh my God, you guys, like, no, like get an Airbnb in the West Village. You'll save money and like be so much happier. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a cool thing to see if you've never seen it, but like I would not. Yeah. Go to a Broadway show, but don't like stay there. Right. 
Yeah. Have there been any other book characters that you can think of that you thought you would want to be friends with? I know there have. I didn't prepare for this question. Um, What about you? I was hoping you would have an answer because I couldn't think of any off the top of my head. I know I have some. Well, you know I like to read books about murderers, so that's not very helpful. Um, Oh, actually, um, did you read The Ties of the Tether? Mm -mm. That one. I felt like despite the fact that she was so much younger than us, this was the one where it was like a 25-year-old and she was a creative director and had a glass office. Um, Oh, right, right, right. And she was getting all this pressure to, um, because she was Nigerian, her family was pressuring her to marry Nigerian, and she was really independent and strong-willed and ended up falling in love with a, um, I think he was Italian, Italian guy, um, that I felt like I would be friends with her. Oh, interesting. I'll have to go. Uh, I have that book. I just haven't gotten around to it. So I'll have to. I enjoyed that a lot. I'll have to get it out. But yeah, I, I don't. I feel like I don't in frequ- Majesty, we'd be friends with Sam. No, I, I think I would be annoyed by her. I I can completely. Oh, oh, I know one. What? The main character in Party of Two by Jasmine Guillory. Oh, yeah. I we did like her. her. I, I love her, but she feels older and more successful than I am in a way that I don't think she would want to be friends with me. I think she'd be friends like, with Tina you. Tina and I feel on the same level where <laughs> Tina and I would definitely be friends. Yeah. Um, but Olivia, the character from She was just a lawyer. Book, yeah, but she was also like, I think she was in her 40s. She's like dating a senator. No, like, she was not in her 40s. She was like 37. Okay, but <laughs> I just, I don't feel like she would have time for me. She probably wouldn't once she started dating the senator. I know. But I think she was still looking to make new friends when she first moved to LA. True. <laughs> and it could have been a right time, right place friendship. Yeah. But yeah, I can obviously enjoy a book without feeling that kinship of like I would be friends with this protagonist. But now I'm curious like what books people have felt like a oh, book bestie relationship with. Be from when to watch? No. I liked B. She was a like I liked her. I liked reading about her. I liked her. I don't know that we would be friends. Yeah. Okay. I'm going I'm just like going through my book club page right now on my blog. Um yeah, most of the books I read are about like such dysfunctional people that like you better hope you're not friends with them. You're gonna get murdered. <laughs> I know. I don't want to die or have my identity stolen or <laughs> we'll put a thread oh in the Facebook group. I want to hear yeah. what other books people have felt a, a best friend connection with the main character. Maybe yeah. it'll spark something for us. So one thing that stood out to me that I didn't really capture well in the outline was Tina's complicated relationship with her parents mm-hmm. and especially with her mother um, and kind of her residual feelings around her parents' divorce, despite the fact that it was 10 years ago. And I I really – this, like, really resonated with me. So I have a complicated family, too. My mom died when I was a teenager – And uh, my aunt and uncle adopted me. And then they ended up getting divorced when I was in college, which is the same time that Tina's parents got divorced. And I I certainly – it was a very different situation than Tina's, but just like the complexity of her relationship and how that lingers afterwards. Yeah. I just thought it was so well portrayed and it was like so nuanced. Mm -hmm. Like just like the complicated relationships that you have with your parents as an adult. I really related to the part I felt like she was so much harder on her mother than her father. And I think that girls are just so, so – I don't think I'm like this anymore. Um, like I, I don't remember the last time I was critical about my mom except for when she was like not being safe about COVID. <laughs> I I think that when I was growing up especially, like my dad could do no wrong whereas my mom was always the bad one. Even if my dad yelled at me and was really stern, like I was always like harder on my mom. Yeah, and she kind of has that relationship too. And especially because her mom 
has uh, gone on to a new relationship while her dad has stayed single. I, I wrote this down because um, I thought it was like it was just so succinctly well put. So t- this is like from Tina's inner monologue, and it says. Um, She didn't know the details of the divorce, but she assumed it was her mother who was behind it because her mother had always seemed more beautiful, more successful, more worldly, and more intelligent than her father. It's almost like she felt sad for her father. So because of that, she was tougher on her mother. Yeah, she like cast him as the victim and then was like, it must have been her fault, even though she had no idea what happened, like why they divorced. Yeah. And I just, I thought it was just so well put. I agree. I don't know if we're there yet. We have got to talk about the old person romance that happened between Tina's father and Mrs. Sethi. That was my favorite part of the book. Well, the other thing, I, before we get there, the other thing is I I really loved her, not rekindling, because they weren't like estranged, but like I loved the scene where her and her mom kind of like reconciled a little bit. I did too. That was really heartwarming. It was really heartwarming, but it was also like so accurate it was really real it wasn't like sugar-coated or just like glossed over like the their conversation felt like just very genuine and honest right and like they talked about how Rada who's Tina's mom um like how being happy in her own life didn't like minimize her parental relationship with Tina I don't know I just I really liked that like that moment yeah I agree but you want to talk about old people romance. Well, there's two things I want to talk about. So first of all, there's David Smith. David Smith is just the whitest white guy name that you could give him, which so that like his the fact that his name was David Smith cracked me up in it, in its own right. But I thought that it was interesting the way that Tina's mom talked about how um her ex-husband would was so brutally honest. Like if she like complained about her arms or something, he'd be like, "Oh, but it's great. It's fine. You have a shawl and you don't look that bad for your age." Whereas mm-hmm. It felt like David Smith coddled her more and was like, no, you're beautiful. You're perfect. But it was and, it was also interesting how she described her relationship with David Smith as less needy. Yeah. Where because her and her ex-husband had a child together and because they had gotten together when she was newer to the United States, like they were very dependent on each other. Yeah. Versus there's this incident in the book where at one point David is supposed to pick her up and um, he doesn't. He ends up like meeting this Indian family and, and going home at their insistence and having dinner with them. That was so strange, but funny. Right. And, and she's like a little bit mad, but she's also like, I don't really care that much, you know, like, yeah, she, like she described it as like not feeling as dependent on him, which made the whole relationship easier. Is it weird that I kind of relate to that now in my own dating life? Like I never really – like I remember when I was younger, I felt so needy with, with my boyfriends and things. And if they did like one thing or like canceled plans on me, I'd be so upset. And now I'm like, okay, cool. Like go on. Like is that like something that comes with age? Am I like secretly 60? No. I mean I definitely think think it comes with like a sense of self. I think in her case she was specifically pointing to to it coming with like the fact that her child was now an adult. Yeah, it's like she like, doesn't need him anymore. Right. Yeah. I don't have a child that's an adult. Right. I can't. So you kind of just like bypassed that. I, bypassed, you like I just straight to – Just went straight to old age. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do have a child, but he's 49. <laughs> <laughs> he's older than you. Yeah, my child's older than me. Tyrion's seven and in cat years, that means he's 49. <laughs> I also – I mean, we can't – we can't not talk about Mr. Doss's relationship with Mrs. Sethi. 
Oh, it was the best. It was so cute watching them kind of like fall in love. It was so cute. This is where the movie went from Crazy Rich Asians to Nancy Myers. Yeah, and it was so cute because he also was like so insecure and like yes. anxious. And I loved, so we'll talk more about the writing style, but I love that the writing style jumped heads so you could kind of hear from everyone's point of view. That oh, that story- really confused me at first, but then I came to love it. I, I loved it. And I you also hear both from kind of everyone in this situation, but then you also hear from other people. Like you hear from Mrs. Sethi's maid or you hear from like the driver who's driving Mr. Das to mm-hmm. Mrs. Sethi's house. And so you get like external perspectives. You get like both of their perspectives. And I loved hearing about both their perceptions of themselves in the world, but then like how they ended up getting together. Like I just thought it was so cute. Yeah, I agree. I loved – I wrote this down. I loved – he said at one point to um, Mrs. Sethi, he said, where do I begin to tell you about a life so old? Yeah. And it was yeah. just like so cute. Yeah. I don't know. I remember when you were dating in your 20s? Like it was – there wasn't much to tell. Right. And it was you like how do you catch somebody up? Yeah. Even I, at this age, it's like I don't know how to catch you up on everything that's – And I can't remember exactly what Mrs. Sethi said, but she was like, maybe it's not all important. Yeah. Um, and I loved Mrs. Sethi. Like, I, I loved, loved her. I loved her. She, at one point, like, mentioned she was like, maybe I should write a book about being a, about dating in Delhi. She was like, there's so many books about 20 and 30 somethings in their love life, and none of them are interesting. And she's like, what if I, as a 60 year old woman, did it? She's like, that would be interesting. Yeah. But you could see that he really liked her because he didn't like the idea of her writing this book about I dating. I know. I know. She was kind of like, no, like, I want to lock this down. I, I loved their scenes. Their scenes were some of my favorite. There there was this one scene um, where they go on a picnic. And I, I thought the whole picnic scene was so well done overall. Tina goes for a walk with them and they end up running into some other people for the wedding. And um, the old people join the young people and they have this like very fun day playing Frisbee and like getting to know each other. Yeah. I, I like I loved their courtship. Mm-hmm. But then I also loved the wasn't the consummation, but I loved the dinner scene where um, the cr- not crazy grandma, but the um, I loved the grandma too. I loved the grandma. We gotta talk about her because that's one of your favorite tropes in I, the book. I love an eccentric grandma, and this one was like aces. The eccentric grandma tells them that tells Mister Doss that she's like, I will arrange a dinner for you in my greenhouse if you promise that you will kiss her before the end of the night and then she was watching them on all those like all those tvs but the dinner scene was so funny because instead of like being in the moment he was like looking around the greenhouse for the cameras and like turning things around but Mm -hmm. he but he didn't know where it was and then she kept sending down notes in the menu where she was like that's not where it is like stop looking for the camera yes kiss her Oh my god! I just I, like I'm reliving this book again as we talk about it. It's just like one of my favorite books I read all year. It was so cute and fun and funny. Yes, um, I also loved that the grandmother was like, Mister Das was like, "Why are you doing this?" Because he had no relation to her. Like had just met the grandmother the day before, and she was like, "I always wanted to be a theater director." <laughs> she was amazing. She was so fun. Yeah. Well, I think one of the other things we have to talk about that was kind of a central point of the book was about Tina's cultural identity. Yes. And this was something where I felt like I learned a lot reading it because it was something whereas where Tina I felt I related to so much as a character this was something that was more like of a learning 
experience for me. Yeah. Basically, the crux of it is that Tina felt between cultures where she doesn't feel Indian enough in India and she doesn't feel fully American either. Yes. And so she feels kind of like a woman without a a country. Some of her complaints were like very serious, but then some of them were like very petty about, about, you know, ways that she didn't feel like American enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked that. And I, I liked also how when it came up with her mother and her mother was like, I just wanted you to fit in. Like, yeah. I was doing my best. Like, yeah. She was like, why didn't you, why didn't you like pick a side? And her mother was like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, this has to have been so hard for the parents. Like they're already like, you know, just probably like feeling like they're like underwater, just like trying to make it in a new country and things. And then having to worry about a child and a child fitting in at school or being the only Indian kid and not fitting in. I just, I can't imagine how stressful that would be. But it also like really permeated into Tina's personality and her adult life and just like this desperation to fit in. Yeah. And I obviously have not experienced this with regards to feeling trapped between two cultures, but there was this thing that she described that I absolutely feel when I travel where um, she was talking about, she was in a rickshaw and um, she was following where they were going on Google Maps and they were like going the wrong way. And she was like, trying to name drop streets that she knew and she was like trying to like she didn't want to outright question the driver but she like was like worried that they weren't going the right way and I feel like I always have this anxiety when I travel where I never want to be like caught out as a tourist yeah well you just to feel safe like you you want to feel like they don't think you're someone they can just like take for a ride not even safety I some of it is getting price gouged sometimes but also just like I don't know there's something like gauche about being a tourist oh I don't feel that way I just worry more about safety or like getting ripped off mm. no but I feel like I do it sometimes when I'm like somewhere where I'm obviously a tourist and I'll be <laughs> like I just don't want people to know <laughs> that's so funny but yeah I like I just even the way Tina expressed this insecurity about her cultural identity, like I was able to relate to some of it, even though I have not experienced it, what she is talking about. Yeah. Um, and I also thought it was so interesting. So again, because the the writing style jumps heads, you also got to see what people in India thought of Tina. Mm-hmm. So not just like how she felt about being insecure, but also what like they saw her as. Yes. And it was so interesting because at one point um, she's in a car and the chauffeur doesn't know whether to drop her off on the side of the street that's convenient for yeah. him or if he should make a U-term the way that he would for a white person so that they didn't have to cross the street. Yeah. It was interesting to see that like she wasn't it wasn't unfounded like there was like even though she was Indian like people were like oh but you're not from here. Yeah. 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 I also was thinking about that scene um, with the earring when she mm-hmm. lost her – she thought she lost her earring, but it was actually stolen from her. And it was interesting how how um, the author brought in the, those characters just for like a quick quick glance like at their perspective and how they experienced that moment. Yeah. I, I loved – I loved getting to hear inside the heads of kind of so many different people. Mm-hmm. It added a richness to the story and like a sense of – where they were as opposed to just like a sense of who these characters were. Yeah, I agree. On the other hand, you know who I did not love? Oh my God. I saw this in the outline. I agree so much. Marianne. Yeah, I did not love Marianne. Why? Tina needs new best friends. Us. I'm kind of wondering. 
I don't know. I I wonder what the author's intention was with Marianne. Because like sometimes you write characters just to juxtapose against your main character. Or like I I wonder if she was meant to be relatable or if she was meant to be hated. We're gonna ask her that tomorrow when we interview her. Yeah, I'm. I'm really. I just added that to the to our notes. I'm really curious about that because Marianne had like it, it was uncanny actually because like I totally know who this girl is like basically it's described as she takes on the personality of everyone she dates I've been that girl when I was younger but I've also known that girl yeah and it was so well portrayed but I was like oh yeah and the groom's brother was just he was trouble we've all known that guy before too he was trouble but um I could also empathize with her and see how she got caught up in this whirlwind where he you know took her out to it was it was totally like a pickup artist scam like he took her to this bar and like the bartender played this song that he queued up and he asked her to dance and he took her to this night market and and got her a sorry one like oh it was closed they stayed out all night and got breakfast and like it was such a whirlwind thing where you could kind of understand why she was so taken but like it also was part of a pattern that you were like Girl, Marianne, you should know better. Yeah, I know. And it sounded like her boyfriend back home was like the perfect man. Yeah. So that was a little bit infuriating as well. Yeah. I didn't put this in the outline because it didn't actually feel relevant. But at the end, Tina buys him a plane ticket and he shows up and proposes to Marianne. Yeah. And it's kind of a funny scene because then the groom's brother, who she's been flirting with, I don't. I think they kissed, but I don't think anything else happened. He's like, who the hell are you? Yeah. That was funny. This book was so funny. It was. It was it's not really coming funny. through, but it's so funny. It was funny. You know the other thing that really hit home for me. So Tina's and it hit home for me the second time more than the first is like how Tina was feeling. That feeling of when you go to either a wedding or you're celebrating somebody else's big life event where you're unsure where your own life is going and like the ter- like the emotional turmoil that that throws you into. Oh my god, I know. I remember like. When I was 32, I went through a really dramatic breakup, and that was the year I just had so many weddings. And it was just so hard, like, because obviously you want to be supportive with everything everyone else is going on. But when you're just like, my life is in the total shithole, and I have to, like, go spend all of my, like, disposable income and, like, act happy and excited, it was it was a struggle. Yeah, and, like, it it felt so real that she was like, I don't know what's going on with my career. Like, I just broke up with a guy. She was like, is this Sid thing? Like, is is he's cute? Like, is yeah. this a thing? Like, oh, my God. You know what we also didn't even talk about is I felt like it was almost like a reverse Me Too. Like, obviously, yes. like, accidental, like, no fault to Tina. But she was like, this is a romantic thing. And the poor guy, like, took this incredibly long train ride and came all the way to see her. For what he thought was an audition and what she thought maybe was a date. Well, it was also really funny because she, I think she outright says, she's like, I sexually harassed him. Like, I, yes, she she kisses him. She like puts the moves on him because she like thinks this might be romantic and she's just kind of feeling lost. And he, he rejects her and tells her that this has been like an audition for him. And then she's like pissed off where she's like, I don't even think I like you. Like, yeah. I just thought you liked me. Yes. That's it's, the worst when you, you just think they like you and then they don't. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait, I didn't even like you that much. Right. So, uh, yeah. The other thing, I, we've kind of alluded to it, but I loved the writing style. One thing that I noticed was how, I don't know what the right word is, how um 
succinct everything was. Mm-hmm. It, it Like, the whole book itself is only, I think it's, like, 298 pages. Like, it's not a long book. And you can't, like, power read it. Like, you have to, like, read it really thoughtfully because the way that it changes characters i'm not sure what the style the description of that writing style is but it changes characters like pretty quickly like you know one character is is talking or thinking and then suddenly you're onto another character who's talking or thinking like it threw me for a loop at first and then i was like oh no i love this but everything was was so tightly written it was so succinct it was interesting rereading it because there were scenes that stood out in my mind. So, for instance, the dinner scene with Mrs. Sethi and Mr. Doss, it, like, stood out in my head as, like, this big, huge scene. And it's only, like, two pages. Like, it's yeah. a quick scene. And it's just crazy how much humor and, like, emotion and just how much the author was able to pack into, like, so little space. Yes, I agree. And how much nuance was in it. I agree. I, I was just so impressed. And I yeah. loved the quirky characters. Like I loved – so Mr. Doss has throughout the book an obsession with his Fitbit. Oh, my God. That was – I could completely see that as a, a parent completely. doing that. The way he's sw- constantly swinging his arm. Yeah, he's trying to get as many steps as possible without actually taking any steps. So he's trying to like game it. It's so funny. Like it was so funny but also like such a good illustration of his – who he is as a person and his personality. Yes. And then, like, no, no, the the groom's grandmother was like this, like, completely eccentric, hilarious character mm-hmm. who was like in a fight with her son because her son was trying to get access to her money and was like trying to claim she had dementia. And then she was yes. like, and then she would like use it to her advantage. It was mm-hmm. so funny. It was so good. I can't wait to talk to Diksha tomorrow because I feel like she, it's going to be so fun to just like understand what was going on in her head as she wrote these characters and also if they're inspired by any real experience yeah. like i also loved rajesh the um the butler yes who keeps giving tina beauty tips yes and then turns out to be a drag performer he's the he's one of the drag performers that impersonates the bollywood singers at the end yes oh there was just so much to love about this book mm-hmm. i thought it was so fun it, i've never been to an indian wedding have you Yes, I went to Amy Jane's wedding. Our oh, old, that's right. The, one of the co-founders of Bobble Bar. It was really cool because um, her, her family let us all borrow saris and things. So we got the whole like experience. Was it a whole weekend? Was it multiple events or was it just one? It was a whole weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. Fortunately, anyone I, anyone I know whose wedding I might be invited to was either already married or very single. So... Yeah. I don't know that I'm going to score an invite. Yeah. Amy's wedding was really fun. It was at the Ritz in D- Dallas. It was so over the top and beautiful and just like a r- really fun celebration. It was so opulent. Like the, her out, her and um, her husband's outfits were just incredible. Yeah. I feel like that's a weird place to end it on, but should we get into some end matter? Yes. Let's do it. What? Your Instagram obsession. Do you know what it is? Is this a new one for you? Yeah. Oh, okay. I just figured you knew about it. Do you know about it? Yeah. Everyone knows about it. I don't think that's true. Oh, okay. You t- tell the people. Okay. So my Instagram session is do moi, um, D-E-U-X-M-O-I. Um, and it's a celebrity gossip account. Yeah. And Are you in the Facebook group? No. Oh, join the Facebook group. Okay. Um, I found out about it. There was an article in the New York Times about it this week. 
Oh, and I've, I found about, out about it on Reddit. Like, oh, interesting. Maybe a year ago. It's not. It wasn't that big. It, like when I followed it, it had like maybe a hundred and eighty thousand followers. But then I looked last night, it has like four hundred and something. Mm-hmm. So, it's this celebrity gossip account. But a lot of the gossip is really mundane. Mm-hmm. And but it's I, still fascinating. And I feel like I'm at a point in quarantine where I'm like, yeah, I could care a lot about what kind of sandwich Chris Evans gets at this sandwich place that he frequents. Yeah. Or like how random celebrities treat retail employees. Like uh, there's some real gossip, but it's mostly like blind items, which I don't really care about. It's not like huge gossip about like cheating or like scandals. It's like really mundane gossip. Yeah, this it's it's great. I am sh- actually shocked that you just found this because I feel like of the two of us who pays more attention to pop culture. I know. I'm really I'm I'm really into it. And also if you go look at it, well, first of all it's private so you have to request it, but then um all of it is on stories. Like the the grid yeah. is nothing. Don't listen don't look at the grid. The grid doesn't matter. It's all their stories. Yeah. I, I have stayed up really late watching their stories before because the stories go on and on. I'm obsessive about it. Like anytime I log into Instagram and I see Dumois stories, I'm like, okay, let's go. <laughs> What's yours? Mine is um, – I didn't really have one this week, but so I found a small business that I think is really cool. It's called Claude Home, C-L-A-U-D-E. They just have beautiful a- aesthetics. It's not really my personal aesthetic because it's very minimal, but like think of like – Really beautifully shaped couches, and it's just soothing to look at. Cool. Yeah. What about on the non-Instagram obsession front? So mine this week is the Malin and Getz Cannabis Candle, which, like, I'm not a big pot person. Like, obviously, I'm super into CBD, but, like, never have, like, really cared about pot. Um, But the Cannabis Candle smells so good. It does not smell like cannabis. It smells like – it's, like, a little bit spicy and woodsy and, like – herbal in a good way interesting i love it and it's black too which like i love a good black candle sure Mm -hmm. interesting i can't i'll have to smell it yeah you can smell that one it's in the kitchen right now okay um mine is i've gone very overboard on loungewear from airy is the sweater you're wearing right now from there sure is melissa wood has a pullover that she wears from that looks just like that but it's the three-quarter zip one Mm. so i in the first quarantine part one in March, I was like, okay, we're going to be spending some more time at home. And I remember I placed an order on Aerie and I got two sweatshirts and they have been, they've become my most like beloved. They've become two sweatshirts that I wear the most often. Mm -hmm. So the other week I was like, all right, it's gotten cold. Like it's time for some more Aerie loungewear. And I bought a a bunch of things on their site and I kind of assumed that I would return some of them. Yeah. And I went into the sweaters too, which I was not expecting much of. I love every single thing I got. Oh, that's great. I placed a second order. So I was my two favorite things. So I will link them in the show notes. There's this quarter zip sweater. Um, it feels very New Englandy. Okay. It was the one I was wearing the other day that you complimented me on. Oh yeah, it was cute. Um, and then right now I'm wearing this waffle sweater, which is is definitely a size too large, but it's like oversized it's, in a good way. I like it. Um, I ordered a second one, but a size smaller. Yeah. Um, it's very comfy. I also got some dogs wearing sweaters, thermal pajama bottoms that I'm excited about. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Ari has good stuff. I haven't Such shopped there in a stuff. long time, but I had this like sun washed hoodie and matching loungers a while back, and I loved those. So I really, um, I'm sure they're going to do something on Black Friday, but um. In the first part of the pandemic, they were sold out of everything. So I, it was on 
everything I bought was on sale, but not on huge sale. And I was like, I kind of ra- rather pay more to get what I want. But like, if you're interested on Black Friday, I bet you should definitely check sale. it out. Yeah. What about on the reading front? I just finished The Cousins by Karen McManus, and I loved it. Ooh. Um, so that one is about – I think I talked a little bit about what it was about last week, so I don't want to be redundant. But it is about um, three cousins who don't know each other at all. And before they were born, their grandmother had disinherited their parents. So the parents all kind of lost touch. But then each of the cousins received this mysterious summons from the grandmother to come work on her island resort, which is set um, on a small island off the coast of Cape Cod. And so they all head there for the summer to work. And of course, there are several mysteries. And it alternates a little bit back and forth between one of the characters' moms to like give you an idea what happened. But I could not put it down. I love Karen McManus. She wrote One of Us is Lying, which is a past Bad on Paper book club pick. Very early days one. Yeah. She also wrote um, the sequel to that. It was, was One of Us is Next. She's one of my favorites for YA because I like YA, but it has to really be a thriller or like about rich, unsupervised teens. And she just – she does it for me. Okay. Yeah. And then I just started reading um, – I think it's called Simmer Down. Um, it's about food – it's like a, it's a romance, but it's about food trucks. And there's Ooh. these two competing food trucks. Um, and I think there's going to be a romance between them. Interested. It's set in Hawaii. Very interesting. Yeah, I feel like it might be more of a you book than a me book, but um, you know, I love a very niche career. Yeah, a niche career romance. romance. Yeah, um, and it's about food, which we both love yes. books about food. So this might be something I pass to you. Okay, I'll have to mail it to you from Charleston. I've been reading so slowly lately. Like I go through stages where I read a lot, but I'm so distracted, and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be reading. I should be packing. Oh, you know what I think I'm going to get on audiobook? So I'm listening to Stamped um, by Ibram X. Kendi and um, I think Jason Reynolds. But um, one of my readers messaged me today and was like, I hear you on your election fatigue and burnout from that. You must listen to Obama's new book. Just hearing him talk and his voice is so soothing. It will make you feel so much better. Oh, interesting. So I want to download that. Yeah. I think I'll probably start listening to that on the plane maybe. Okay. Yeah. I started The 12 Dates of Christmas by Jenny Bayless, and I'm not very far into that, but but this is um so our friend Ashley Brooke, this is her book club's pick for November and we tend to have very similar tastes in like romances and rom-coms. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited for this one. And you know, I just love anything Christmas themed. Yeah. So it's definitely like a huge pile of light fluff and I'm here for it. Yes. So a couple housekeeping notes for everyone. Um, First of all, we're so excited. We have a bonus episode with the author of this book, uh, Dick Shabasu, on Friday. Yes. We're going to skip. Usually our bonus episodes come out on Thursday, but it's Thanksgiving. So we'll put that out. Also, an update that we are going to take two well-deserved weeks off in December. So we're going to take the last two weeks of December off. So our book club in December is actually going to be December 16th. Mm -hmm. And if that freaks anyone out, I hear you. But you could always listen to it after the fact. You yeah. don't need to listen to it on December 16th. Yeah. That's the good part about a podcast book club. Yes. And we will have the announcement for our December book on Instagram the day this goes live. Maybe not the night because it's the night before Thanksgiving. Maybe we'll do it during the day. Yeah, we'll put it up during the day. We still haven't picked it. So <laughs> we're we're slacking. One of my New Year's resolutions is that we're going to get ahead. We are. It's just tricky because, well, we had a book that I think we were both excited about and then I ended up hating it. I'm not yeah. going to sh- drag it too much, but 
I hated it, so I kind of ruined it for this one. Yeah. Yeah. So keep an eye out on Instagram. Yes. And in the meantime, I would love to hear who your book best friend, like your book goals best friend is. Yeah. Come to the Facebook group and tell us that. Um, just search Bad on Paper on Facebook. You can also follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And if you haven't checked out season two of Rom-Com Pods, you definitely should. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood, and I blog um, Monday through Saturday at thestripe.com. Have a happy Thanksgiving. See you next week. Bye. See you Friday. See you sometime. See you Friday. Bye. 